Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. We are glad you are taking advantage of this resource. If you would like to find out more information about our church or connect with us, go to cornerstonebv.org. You can also check us out on our Facebook page, at CornerstoneBV. We hope that the message today impacts your life and draws you closer in your walk with Christ. Amen. You can have a seat. How are we doing this morning? Oh, man, that was pretty slow. Let's try it again. How are we doing this morning? Okay, much, 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 much better. All right, as we um, uh, begin this time of our worship service, um, I want you to just imagine you're kind of out walking, and for once it's sunny, all right? And uh, you're not really thinking, it's just a regular day, and you come up against a gigantic file cabinet. And for kids in the room, that's what we had before computers, all right? Your parents can explain, or maybe your grandparents, I don't know. But in, in that file cabinet, it has your whole life. It's like the people you've met, it's the things you've done, said, thought, good, bad, and the ugly, all of it. What would that look like? And so we're going to watch a video where that actually kind of happens to somebody. Let's watch. Pretty much since forever, humanity has been trying to devise means, political constructs, philosophies, religious systems, in order to do something about the debt that we have before God. And yet in all that time, as we learn from Paul, and we know ourselves from experience, it all fails. And that always has been the case, is the case today, and always will be the case. As we've seen over and over, Jesus is enough. Father, let's, we just ask for your grace upon grace this morning, that we would be ready to hear your truth, for some, a truth that we've heard many, many times, be reminded of what you've done for us and what that means, Lord, truly means. But Lord, for others, maybe for the first time, have heard this message. And God, I pray that you would, this truth would not be, it's not mine, it's yours, that you would use me as a vessel that, that would be clear so that you would open our, our eyes of faith, our minds, our hearts to receive what you would have for us today, whatever that might be. Oh God, let us be eager, not just hear your word, but to do it and to be changed one degree of glory towards you, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. So we um, are actually uh, picking up uh, as we go through the letter of Colossians that Paul wrote uh, in chapter 2, verse 8. So we'll put it on the screen as always, but if it's always good to have your Bibles or follow along with one of the pew Bibles around you. So that's where we are, chapter 2, verse 8. And um, yeah, I'd like to always let you know that if you don't own a Bible, that uh, you may take one of those home. That's our gift to you, no cost. We want everyone to have God's Word. So if that's you, you don't own a Bible, take that. We'll replace it um, one way or the other. It'll be fine. And um, so as, as we, we turn there, uh, I know we had sent out an email about needing help to move some stuff up so the plumber in the new space can get at something up in the attic, the church attic, always fun. Um, Xavier, for the first time, met. He's been here for many years, and he's like, I didn't even know there was a door here. So, uh, but anyway, we don't need help. Uh, so if you said I'd help, you get credit, and you don't actually have to do anything, because last night uh, we took care of it. So some people after church last night did it. Um, and uh, so we uh, just wanted to also let you know that if you're using the church for anything in the next few days, that that wall's coming down, that 
fake wall that's been up for quite a while now, um, and they're coming out to do the floor here in the lobby. So that won't be accessed, at least um, for a few days. So you can still use the church, but just have to use the other entrances. And just so you're, you're aware, it's exciting that that's finally happening. So uh, we can make do for a few days, right? Um, all right, that's all pretty much that I, I have. Oh, and we didn't have the barbecue last night. Looks like we could have. We got out of church, and it was bright and sunny. But the weather forecast was not great. So we will be having that in a couple of weeks. So be on the lookout to sign up for that. So, um, so as we, we come to verse 8 in chapter 2 of, of Colossians, this letter that Paul's writing from prison to a church that he'd, he'd never met, right? But he had said, I'm, I'm, I'm just eager for you. I'm fighting for you, right? And last week, if you were with us, he, he left off just, just talking about how he's just, he's just fighting for them to be walking in Christ, like rooted in Christ, built up in Christ, steadfast in the faith that they've been taught and abounding in thanksgiving, if you remember that last verse. And, and so that's the picture of, of, of the Colossian believers. That's hopefully the, the picture of us today, right? It's just, just trying to walk in Christ, that he is enough, and yet these false teaching is, is threatening, right? So, so he, 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 he moves right into verse 8 where he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not, and that's the key, right? It's not according to Christ. And, 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 he, and he, I like that, that um, phrase he uses, to take captive. That literally means to be kidnapped. So, I don't know, picture like a, a pirate's vessel and taking someone away, right? Or a more modern example and a kid walking down the street and, and the, the van swoops up and they grab the kid and drive off into a different direction. They're taken captive. That's the image that Paul's using. These false teachers are trying to take you from walking in Christ and kidnap you, but how are they doing it? They're using empty deceit. So deceit might remind you of verse 4 from last week where it, it said that, they're, that, that these words are enticing, they're, they're, they, they sound good, but he says they're, they're empty. It's like a promise that looks good, but then you realize, ugh, has that ever happened to you? Right? I remember when I was in college, um, there was these guys who lived down, down the, the floor, a uh, few dorms, and they were always kind of messing with us. They were a little older. I don't know how they got on a freshman dorm because it was my freshman year. And I remember one day I was in with a few friends in my dorm room and knock comes to the door. And one of the guys that lived down the hall is named Scott. And uh, he comes, he goes, hey, we ordered pizza, but we had too much. And he, and he says, you guys want it? This box of pizza. And so the first, you know, the little voice that goes off my head is these guys have never given us anything. And they're kind of large guys. They've never seen a pizza they couldn't eat that I've ever seen. So I'm like, mm, we're like, eh. but when you're a college guy, is there anything more enticing than cheesy pepperoni goodness inside of a pizza box that's free? Huh? Anything? No. So it overwhelmed us, the promise of that cheesy pepperoni goodness. And so we took the box, and we opened it. And needless to say, it was empty of any cheesy pepperoni goodness. But it was not completely empty. It had something in it that I will not name in church. You can probably guess. Some of you are like, ugh, your imaginations are running with you, and that's okay. It was, he went chortling down the hall. We sprinted for the nearest dumpster and fired in there, trying our best to pretend that that never happened, and yet it still plagues my nightmares to this day. That's what Paul's saying, not pizza boxes. 
He's saying it looks good. It looks like this, this is going to do something for you. But when you truly open it up, it's empty. It has nothing for you. In fact, it's detrimental. It's dangerous to you. Right? That's what this false teaching is, is doing. It's not according to God. It's, it's been made by human traditions. How good can that be? Right? And it's according to the elemental spirit. So just like we've been saying, we don't know exactly what this false teaching was. We know it has certain aspects based on Paul's words, but that's all we have. It's like listening to one side of a phone conversation, right? You kind of have to guess what's, what's going on, and so you can guess some aspects, but then you kind of have to, to guess a little bit, and it doesn't ultimately really matter. Elemental spirits, probably, although we're not exactly sure, they're, they're things that, that um, civilizations, and they still do today, ascribe power to. The moon, the sun, the stars, earth, wind, fire, Water, right? These elemental things that are essential, often we would describe uh, human beings, ascribe gods to them. And so in some places, like Jewish mysticism, they they would ascribe angels as power over those things and and that you can uh, somehow get visions of God and and gain more power by praying to these angels. Is this what was going on? Probably some form of this. But what Paul's saying is it's empty, it doesn't have anything because it's not according to Christ. It is, it is human beings who have said, this is what you need on top of the gospel. And so he says that in, in verse 9, for in him, meaning Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been, Christian, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Why would you want elemental spirits of the world when, when you have full bodily God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who created all those things, rules all of those things. And if you're a Christian, you actually have been filled by the Holy Spirit. You've been filled with that which God has for you. You do not need anything else. And so, again, this theme is resounding over and over in the letter. Jesus is enough. I know there might be a few of you that are like, this is kind of repetitive, you know, keep it. And, and so, you know, bear with us, because most of us still need to hear this. We still need to hear that we do not need energy stones or chantings or powers in the universe. We do not need to make penance for our sins. We do not need special privileged prayers from specific clergy. Right? We do not need human traditions. Jesus is enough. The gospel is enough. And if, 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 if I, it's my deepest prayer that you could firmly and finally grasp that he is enough for you and for me. It's a prayer for myself too. That human traditions that we cling to, when we cling to these things, we are actually saying that Jesus is not enough without saying it. We think we need something beyond Jesus and what he has for us. We are saying he's not enough. Jesus isn't a truth. He's the truth. right? He's not a wisdom. He's the embodiment of all wisdom. That's Paul's point. And he goes further in this passage and saying, why is he enough? And you'll see throughout this, kind of like the great hymn we had a few weeks ago in chapter 1, over and over again, in him, with him, in him, in him. Watch this. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, just like Paul's apt to do, this is a complicated 
sentence, right? <clears throat> some wonder, why is he bringing up circumcision here? And then some think that maybe the false teachers were, were trying to make it as part of their system to get circumcised. As you read in Galatians, there was those false teachers that did that. We really don't have any proof of that. But what he's, what, what he's bringing up circumcised here, what you need to know, that was, of course, the physical sign for the Jewish male that would be circumcised. They did that as a physical sign of what was supposed to be a circumcision of the heart. They are set apart as God's people. They are holy people living for God. They often failed at that. <laughs> but that was what was supposed to happen. And so we learn in the New Testament that there's a new covenant, right? And then now there's a, what Paul says, you, Christian, have been circumcised not by human hands. He's not talking about that Jewish circumcision. He's talking about one that God does, right? And God establishes a new covenant, meaning you, as a Christian, are set apart as his holy people. Why? Because of the circumcision of Christ. He's not talking again about Jesus as a Jewish boy at eight, years old, eight days old. He's talking there about the cross, because the covenant, the new covenant, was made by his blood. So what he's saying is, because of the cross, because of the death of Jesus and your faith in him, you have what? Put off the body of the flesh. That's your old life. Before you knew Christ, the old life of flesh. So what he's saying is that, that my old life of sin and flesh was killed with Jesus on the cross. Death with the death of Jesus. And then he, he, he goes on to say, also, having been buried with him in baptism. Right, we're, having a, we're having a baptism next week, right? Seven people. Next Sunday they're going to be baptized. And that's a picture. So what he's saying is, it's a beautiful picture, baptism, right? That's why we go fully underwater, because it pictures you, right, immersing fully, identifying with the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that you pictured what really happened, and that is your old life of sin. It died with Jesus on the cross, but it was also buried with him in the tomb, right? And, and so buried with him in the tomb, and then thirdly, because there's always that third aspect that baptism also represents, in which you were also raised with him through faith. You didn't do it, you believed through faith, who did it? The powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So also pictured in baptism, when you come up out of the water, what? Free, victorious, new life for all of eternity. So old life of sin that all of us had died on the cross with Jesus, as so we put our faith in him, buried with Jesus, right? But your old life stayed buried. Your new life rises. That's a beautiful gospel that you now have new and full, beautiful life with God for all of eternity. And it is my heartfelt prayer that you and I would never, ever, ever get bored with this. If you're bored of the gospel and you want something else, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the wretchedness of who you are, but the victory and freedom of who you now are because of Jesus because of the powerful working of God. So Paul says, you don't need anything else. What else do you need but this newness of life that he gave you and you now walk in, rooted in him, built up, <clears throat> abounding in thanksgiving. But he goes on to describe what happened there. And he says in verse 13, and you 
who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So again, not physical circumcision, but the spiritual. You were apart from God. You were not his people. You were not in relationship with God. You, you were dead in your sin. That means you weren't like pretty good and God just wanted you to just, just help you along. No, no, no. You, there's nothing that you could do. You were dead in that sin. That's bad news that feels hopeless. But what happened in Christ, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's the key word, isn't it? That in Christ, you have the forgiveness of all your trespasses. Every single one. That's the key word. There's no need for penance or false teachers or, you know, that Jesus once and for all died so that we might have all of our sins forgiven. Any theology or doctrine that teaches that Jesus perpetually has to sacrifice for our sin is an offense to the gospel. Any theology or doctrine that says that you and I have to help God work off our sin is an offense to what he did for you. It is by his grace. You just believe. You put your faith in him. But then he continues in verse 14, and I could um, preach on this verse for a year. I won't. Some of you look a little nervous that I might. But I really, I, I, I love how Paul puts this. He says, by, this is what, what, what this is um, how he, for, this is how all of our sins are forgiven. This is what he did. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So, it's kind of like there, there was this prevailing viewpoint um, at that time. And still in a lot of ways today. And that is similar to the file cabinet, but, but they believe that at the end of your life, right, that, that angels would come down and, and they'd kind of roll out this scroll of your life and you have this kind of thing. It's like a promissory note, sort of like you might have a mortgage statement if you owe or a car loan or credit card companies. And, and you owe and you better pay at some point, whatever that agreement is. And so except this is the ways that we have offended God. And they believed that angels were kind of in charge of this. And it's like, what are you going to do about this? Right? This record of debt. And I wrote on this, just this could be any one of us, you know, pride, lies, lust, drunkenness, porn, selfishness, wrath, stealing, gossip, me first, putting the, taking the Lord's name in vain, hypocrisy, causing pain, adultery, idol worship, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, wrath, malice, rage, insincerity, crass, Hurt my family, disrespect, dishonor, hatred, insult, bullying, didn't help, murder, assault, racism, looking down on others, arrogance, be, didn't open my home, didn't care, didn't pray, didn't worship, didn't serve, didn't believe God, enticed others to sin, drugs, smoking, didn't love, picked on someone, covet, jealousy, on and on and on I could go. Right, whatever that might be, and we're talking the little things that you've forgotten about, you know, the little white lies that don't really matter, they do matter to God, and the big things that keep you up at night, that cause deep, scarring shame. All of these, what Paul says, as it's laid before us, right, he says that by that cross, he canceled the record of debt. He canceled it. That means it's, as you saw in the video, it's paid for. All of it. Paid for by Jesus on the cross. 
But more than that, it says he set it aside. That's actually better translated, taken away. So that's where our video with the files actually fails us a little bit. Because you could still read, boy, I really wish I did, couldn't, didn't do that. That's not how God sees it. Jesus didn't just cancel it. He threw it away. It's gone. And so why do you still see it when he doesn't? Why do I still stay awake at night saying, I wish I had, when, when, when it's forgiven because of Christ? As he said, he said that it's, it's, it's paid for, right? It's legal demands. But then he said, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so you actually want to picture these uh, sins, right? This, this whole record of debt nailed with Jesus on the cross. Now, what does that mean? What, is, what does Paul mean by that? You see, if you were, if someone was, was put on the cross in those days, and we don't have that anymore, thankfully, what they would do is they would put, on, on, on usually at the top, what the crime was, why they were being crucified. So you'd walk by and say, well, I better never do that. Now, did that happen to Jesus? Well, he didn't commit any crimes. But they did put something on, remember? King of the Jews. Because that was all they'd come up with. Right? And he was the king of the Jews, so it wasn't actually a crime. But that's what they wrote. But here's actually the picture. It wasn't physically there. Paul's saying, actually, nailed to the cross with Jesus was your record of debt and my record of debt. And anyone who's trusted in Christ, that all over that cross was nailed every last sin. Right? That, that, that when he died and was buried, so was this. Dead. Buried, canceled, gone. All of it. All of it, gone. And so, the triumph of the cross is over the condemnation of our sin. You see, others might condemn you. You might condemn yourself. Others might scorn you for your addiction or your lust or your lies, or the things you've done, or how you've hurt, or what, whatever that might be. But you need to understand that in Christ, it is paid in full. He said it is finished. It is nailed to the cross. It is buried and gone. He doesn't see it. It's been taken away. And so that's what we have to understand about ourselves. That, that, that thing that you still feel deep shame. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't see how that can be paid for without me doing something to work it off. It's paid in full. It's nailed to the cross. It's canceled. I want to do me a favor, because we all struggle with this, I think, or certainly some of us. Just for a second, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just so I can see you, but no one else can see you. I want you to do me a favor. If there is something that you feel like is a sin that you've done that still plagues you or a shame that still plagues you, raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. Keep it up. No one else can see it. Okay, you can put it down. We're going to give you the opportunity in a few minutes to deal with that and nail it to the cross. You see, last night people have already done it. You might have been here before. We should do this on Good Friday, but with this passage, how could we not? Because that has been dealt with. If I could get you to understand that as Romans 8 puts it, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That that cross triumphed, triumphed over it. 
If I could get you to understand the depths of your sin before, but now the new life in Christ that you have. If I could get all of us, including me, to understand that God does not condemn us for something that's already been paid for. That would make him unjust and not holy. And here's something I also wish you could understand, is that, is that that's how we not only should see ourselves, but that's how we should see our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. That how can I hold a sin against you when God doesn't? How dare I be offended by you and say, I will not forgive you when the king of the universe who created me and did so much for me, and I can't forgive you. That this is why we grow in humility, and we must crush the haughty religiosity, high hoarseness that we can have when we look at others and think we deserve a break, but they don't. That's why the Bible's constantly saying, forgive your brother, forgive, 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 because God forgave you in Christ. And so if you're struggling to forgive someone, maybe that's what you need to nail to the cross today. Because I've done that too, and I've realized God has to reveal me in some painful prayer moments that how dare I? How dare I hold that against you or anyone when God doesn't hold some of the deepest sins of my life because Christ has paid it in full. He's paid for yours too, so how dare I do that? This is how we grow in humility and learn how to forgive others. And so I want to leave you with this one last verse and one last triumph that Paul gives us this amazing picture what also happened at the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him in him and so this is a a picture that we wouldn't quite understand but they would have and I want you to imagine you're part of a nation, right, and there's this enemy nation, and you see they're, they're, they're threatening, and they, they're going to try to conquer us, and they have this fierce army, and we're scared. Look at those chariots. Look at those horses. Look at, look at those warriors. Look at that army. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? But our nation's army goes out to war and flattens them, conquers them completely. What they would do is take that previous fearsome army and, and kind of show them beaten, defeated, weary, and exhausted, and parade them through the towns so that you and I could see no longer do we need to be scared of them. Once our enemy, but no longer do they have power over us. And so what Paul's saying is at the cross that Jesus also disarmed rulers and authorities, that's Satan and his demonic forces, and the power of sin and temptation. They're still trying to tell you as a Christian that, 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 that it's too overwhelming for you, and you can't, and this is why you won't, and you shouldn't, and you aren't. Right? Because, and yet what Paul's saying is, no, no, previously to be feared, but in Christ they are paraded before us. Right before us, you have the victory over them. And so, so sure, before knowing Christ, these, the, the, the power of sin is too much. Our old self, it's too much, but no longer. Like, if, we should never still think of ourselves as weary, wretched people. I hear Christians say that. It's not true biblically. You're not a wretched person. You're a child of God, not because of you, but because of Christ. Stop living your life as if you're still that old, wretched person. Right? This is what he's saying. We have this old life. Remember the chain we've used before. And, and the, the picture of we were chained to our sin, kind of like in our, our video that we, that we watched, chained to that, the file, chained to our record of, of debt. What Paul's saying is when we, we put our fa- faith in Christ, right, what happened was 
that shame that once was all over us, it's gone. It's gone. And so yet, sometimes, and I'm with you, we actually live our life like this. Ugh. The chain's not there, but we're acting as if it is. And it hinders us. I can't serve. I can't give. I can't do that because look at me. I'm, I'm horrible. I've done horrible things. And God says, I've canceled that in Christ. You actually have freedom to now walk in Christ. And he will give you the power over that addiction, that temptation, that sin, that shame. That, that, that he gives you now the ability to walk in Christ. It's a process. I'm not saying you go and you're a perfect person. What I'm saying is you're not a slave anymore. And that you and I, we want to start acting less like slaves and more like victorious soldiers. That even right now, hearing my voice, Satan and all of his demons, they hear this and they need to know that, that we have the victory, not because of us, but because of Jesus Christ. And we claim that. You have the ability to claim that victory and walk in that freedom and start living the purpose. Or for many of you, because I know, continue to living the purpose God gives you and has given you. That we are no longer living with chains. It's like amazing grace. Our chains are gone. So here's what I want to do, because I'm done. Is I want us to remember that, um, that Jesus not only triumphed over the condemnation of our sin, but Jesus triumphed over the power of our sin. So the guilt of your past, but that power as you walk into your future. And so what I want us to do is take this opportunity if, um, and our, I'm sure our worship team will come up at some point, but it, in, before we, we close and, and, and sing, is give you that opportunity I promised. And that is if you have something that's still plaguing you, a temptation that you have thought, man, I can't beat this, nail it to the cross, a shame, nail it to the cross, something that you're just like still holding on to, with, wrought with guilt, nailed to the cross. If you came in here not a Christian, you're invited in, into this relationship. All you have to do is put your faith, heartfelt faith, in what Jesus did for you. And so maybe you just want to write guilt on a piece of paper and nail it to the cross. It's forever sort of just cementing the fact that you're his. You can do that. Whatever it might be. And I'm not, don't feel bad if you have nothing. This isn't you know, this is when God lays something on your heart to respond in a physical way can cement it for you. So you don't just kind of get up and go home. You say, I've left that there. I've symbolically shown, right, that, that this is, um, that this, whatever is plaguing me, and I'll go first. And this isn't just for show. This is actually for real. In fact, I'll tell you what it is. It says pride. It says pride. Because I've, I've come to know that anytime I get frustrated or angry with someone or upset about a situation, it seems like it always comes down to pride for me. And I want, I want to leave that there because all those times where pride has gotten in my way, Jesus died for those. So you can't condemn me of that. I can't condemn myself. Jesus paid for it. So I'm nailing it to the cross. And so I'm just going to give you a few minutes um, we don't have to go one at a time. There's a few hammers up here, nails, plenty of paper. And uh, once everyone's done and we've wrapped up, I'll 
get us going and we'll worship. So go ahead.